Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. Church, you may grab your seats, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, we're starting verse 1, so as soon as you get there, we're continuing our series that we started last week, New View. And as we start looking at ways that we're trying to make a new you, we start with the, what we really need is a new view. We always make these new resolutions, and it's interesting, the new resolutions that we make every year are the same ones from last year. And then, like, what happens? You know, we're always exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, save money, spend more time with family, serve and weigh kids' ministry, you know, the things that you guys do, <laughs> right? Same resolutions. What if we re- resolved or made a resolution to pray more? Maybe you guys are killing it, but maybe we need to resolve to pray more. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Prayer. Need a new view on prayer. So let me ask you this as we get rolling this morning. How's your prayer life? If we're honest, how's your prayer life? Or maybe more specifically, how much time do you spend throughout the day in prayer? Be a tough question, right? You know, the Bible has something to say about how much time we spend in prayer, how often we're to pray. If you don't know that, I'm glad you're here because that's what we're going to say. Philippians 4, verse 6, pretty clear. Don't worry about anything. How's that going for you? Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So if we were to rework the wording of that, it could be said like this. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and prayer, with praying, Present your prayers to God. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray constantly. So how's your prayer life? We see that God's standard of prayer is praying always in all things all the time. This lifestyle of prayer. Proverbs 19.21 tells us that many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. So my question for us is, whose way do you want? That's one of the emphasis of prayer, right? Is seeking the Lord's way over our way. And so if we don't really want that, I can see how that would impact our prayer life or their lack of a prayer life. Which goes into our theme. And I know you were all here last Sunday because you guys forsake sleep and came up early and rested and ready to go and but we introduced a theme for 2023 for the life of our church. Life of worship. The life of worship in a 12-1 kind of way. So we looked at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, which is the motivation, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And this is a life of worship. We talked about last week, Sunday mornings is not the only worship that we're called to do. It's not confined to a nice little tidy box. It's a lifestyle of worship. It's who we are. It's what we take with us. And what we see is that the only way this 12-1 life of worship is possible is why we talked about last week, 
by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And what we're talking about this week, persistence in prayer. Without these, you will not live a life of worship that the Lord's called us to. And throughout history, there has been many amazing men and women of faith who have demonstrated their dependence on the Lord through persistence of prayer. One of my favorite is George Mueller. Talked about him before. George Mueller lived throughout the 1800s in England. Church pastor, started an orphanage out of seeing a need. And a man known to rely on God through the dependency of prayer. So when needs would come up, he wouldn't ask. He wouldn't, you know, voice them to folks. He would just pray. And God would provide. There was one story, like many, that George Mueller was informed one morning that the children were all dressed for school, but there's no food to eat. So he asked them to be, all 300 kids to be brought into the dining room, sit at the tables, and then says he thanked God for the food and waited. Food that wasn't there. George knew God would provide food for the children as he always did. Within minutes, as this account goes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked baked three batches for you, and I will bring them in. Short time after that, another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed, so he asked George if he could bring in and use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. This was the story of George Mueller's life. Prayer, God would provide. Prayer, God would provide. In which he said, in regarding the persistence of prayer, George Mueller, he said, it is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word and prayer when our enjoyment is gone. As if it were of no use to read the scriptures when we do not enjoy them. As if it were no use for us to pray when we had no spirit of prayer. The truth is, in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the word of God, the less we desire to read it, the less we spend time in prayer, the less we desire to pray. Isn't that true? Like our feelings shouldn't dictate our actions when it comes to dependency on the Lord, and yet... They often do. He calls it temptation from Satan. And so as we look through the course of history, we can be inspired to pray through stories like George Mueller's. Inspired to pray, but that lasts only for a little while. I think to get lasting change, we have to go back to look at Jesus specifically. What did Jesus do for us to follow? What did Jesus teach for us to obey? You have to look far through the scriptures the accounts, the events contained in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus' life, to see a pattern of prayer. Jesus' persistent, passionate, and powerful prayer life drove his disciples to ask the favor that we see in Luke 11, verse 1. Look at it with me. It says, He, being Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John has taught his disciples. It's interesting because the disciples already knew how to pray. They've been taught all their lives how to pray. They've been taught the principle of prayer, the religious activity of prayer, the routine of prayer, maybe like many of us. 
the religious routine of prayer. For us, many times it is caught more than taught. And there lies some of the problem, I think, and we'll talk about shortly. The religious routine of prayer. I mean, some of the most devout Christians in the room, we have this routine of prayer is, you know, before you eat, you have to pray, right? Isn't that what we, have, what we do? That's like our main prayer time. Nothing wrong with that. Praise God. But that's like our main habit of prayer is during food. The rest of our day is kind of absent of prayer, which that's a good starting point for sure. And we pray. We pray for our food. I mean, we pray. We get really religious with it, right? Super spiritual, Holy Spirit-led, good food, good meat, good God, let's eat, right? I mean, we just pray these powerful prayers, and God pours down his blessing. And some of you, you have great faith in your prayer life. I'm just going to just encourage you in that way. I mean, you'll get the triple stack cheeseburger and the bag of fries, right? It's all melted with grease. And you say, God, bless this food to the nourishment of my body. Well, that's some faith. Praise God. Still believe in miracles. So if the disciples knew how to pray, even the right words to say, then why would they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus' prayers were persistent, passionate, powerful, and personal. They saw relationship instead of religious ritual. Have you ever been around someone who just believed, like prayed like they believed it? Have you been around someone like that? Sometimes, right? But not many. I think that's rare to see people actually pray like they believe it. It's to us. Like, do you pray like you actually believe it? If I were to follow you around for a week, be all up in your mix every moment, would I see someone who demonstrated their dependency on the Lord through a persistence in prayer? Or, if someone were to look at your prayer life, would they desire to imitate your prayer life? S.D. Gordon writes regarding the persistence of prayer in Jesus' life. It says, when he was perplexed, he prayed. When he was hard-pressed by work, he prayed. When he was hungry for fellowship, he prayed. When he chose his associates and received his messages upon his knees, if tempted, he prayed. If criticized, he prayed. If fatigued in the body or wearied in the spirit, he had recourse to his one unfailing habit of prayer. And Jesus' persistence in prioritizing prayer in his life drove a desire for his disciples to pray like he did, to pray like that. Lord, teach us how to pray. And you see, his life was marked by just a lifestyle of prioritizing and persistence of prayer. That is Jesus. I mean, in Luke 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. And if I were to ask you, what are some things that, for those who are familiar with the baptism account, would you say was there, present? And you may say, well, Jesus was baptized. It's pretty noteworthy, right? The Spirit came down like a dove. The Father spoke from heaven. But in Luke 3, verse 21 and 22, it says, When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And as he was praying, it's noteworthy. As he was praying, heaven opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. 
like an appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This lifestyle marked with prayer. Not, just a side note, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was before Jesus did anything remotely remarkable. That should be encouraging for you. God was not pleased by performance. He was satisfied in his son. This is good news. You don't have to work to earn God's love. It's already been given. You don't have to work to earn God's relationship. It's been given. The only thing that we do is receive it. I mean, we all have this sin issue that separates us from the love of God. That's our problem. But God didn't leave you to be stuck in it. We're hopelessly helpless in it, but God made a way for us to get out of our sinfulness and receive the relationship that we were created to enjoy in the first place with the Lord. And that's through the life that Jesus led and lived, the perfect life that we couldn't, to pay the price that we deserve, death on the cross, payment of death that we couldn't pay, to satisfy God's wrath because he's just holy. We're not. But Jesus paid the price for dying for our sins, rising and living again, conquering death, showing that payment was accepted, satisfied, and that all who had come to Jesus freely by faith would receive forgiveness and a relationship with God the Father that we were created to have in the first place. Galatians 3.26 says it like this, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.15 tells us that we've received a spirit of adoption. God's chosen us to be with him, to whom we cry out, Abba, Father. By this, we can cry out this Abba Father, this daddy relationship that we have with the creator of the universe so that when we pray, we know we're talking to our Father, a loving, good Father who cares for us more than you can even ever imagine, who knows you better than you know yourself, who desires for us just to talk to him. So we pray because it pleases him. It pleases our Father. So we see Jesus' life was marked with prayer. In Luke 6, we see Jesus would pray even for direction. Decisions. In Luke 6, 12, talks about during those days, he, being Jesus, went up to the mountain to pray. And he spent all night in prayer to God. So what did he do? He would go up to the mountain and pray. This is Luke 6, verse 12. And he spent all night in prayer. So what comes after Luke 6, verse 12? Verse 13. You got it. See, same joke from last week. I can see who was here. Verse 13, when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and chose the 12 of them. So what did he do before he made a decision? He prayed. He slowed down, spent time with the Father, and prayed, and then pursued. So we have to ask, how is prayer prioritized in your decision-making process. If you're like me, usually I resort to reasoning. Like, think about it, What do we do? First, we start doing some research. Just broad, you got a decision to make. We do some kind of research. Maybe a pros and cons list, right? It's always a good idea. And then we make decisions based on what's maybe comfortable, what's going to make us financially stable, or a career successful. Where we look first is the key indicator of where our 
faith is placed. We're quick to turn and trust in our own plans or other people before turning and trusting in God through prayer. Let me make it real personal. What's the first thing you do when you get sick? Or let's do this. What's the first thing you do for those parents in the room when your child gets sick? Most men will just stay there in their sickness and do nothing about it. I got you. I'm not calling a doctor. Children is a little bit different, isn't it? Maybe you go on WebMD, right, and see, oh, I got a pimple, I must be dying, right? Patient first, ER. The why I say this, I want us to see what we do, because I think we can be blind sometimes of what our actions really show about our faith. We so often plan first, and then sometimes pray second, if we're honest. Proverbs 3, 5 speaks directly to this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. So we see in Jesus' life that he prayed first and then did second. Versus us, we got that thing totally backwards, right? Just me? That's cool. All right. But we see throughout Jesus' life, he prioritized prayer. No matter what was going on, even the busyness of life. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was a pretty busy person as far as the crowds all swarmed him when he became very well known. But he never gave up on praying. In Luke 5, we see in verse 15, the news about him spread even more, it says. And large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. And it says in verse 16, yet. That's important. Something didn't change. The most important thing didn't change. No matter how busy it was, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Jesus did not let the busyness of life bog down his prayer life. He would carve out margin in his schedule to spend time with the Father. And I wonder, do you? Or is the busyness of your life creating blindness to your need for the Lord, and for your need to pursue the Father in prayer. And he would have to make sacrifices. Mark 1.35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, made his way out to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Matthew 14.23 says, After dismissing the crowds, he went out to the mountain by himself to pray. This is noteworthy for us. You need to prioritize escaping from the noise and the nonsense that's constantly bombarding your life and pursue silence and solitude with the Lord. It's what you need. It's what I need. It's what we need. Resting in the Lord brings refreshing in your life. But we need the rest. We need the silence and the solitude on a regular routine of our lifestyles. There's a story that goes like this. We'll name them Peter and John. Not from the Bible. But Peter and John, two men, were really gifted at chopping down trees, making lumber, and you know, doing what men do. They say, you know what? I'm better than you are. Let's have a competition. Right? That's what we do. Competitive. So the next morning they got out, went out in the morning, picked their places in the, the woods, and began chopping down trees to see who can make the most wood? Who can chop down the most trees? And so about an hour in, 
Peter was going strong, and all of a sudden he heard John's axe stop chopping. He's thinking, oh, I got him now. I'm going to keep hitting it. You know, I'm in good shape. Got this cardio thing down. John picks up chopping. Another hour goes by. Here's his axe stop again. Oh, I got, definitely got him now. I'm winning this thing because I'm, I'm keeping pressing on. Happens throughout the day. Finally, at the end of the day, they come together. Peter confident, knowing that he had chopped the most wood because he didn't stop. Here, John, this lazy, out-of-shape person, right, had many rests. And yet, when he tallied all the lumber, John was far ahead of Peter. So astounding. He's like, how, how's that possible? How did you chop down more trees and produce more wood than I did? Because you stopped all throughout the day. I never stopped. And what he said is like, yeah, it's true. I stopped for 10 minutes every hour to sharpen my axe. I have a good spouse. Her name's Rachel. And she reminds me often that I need to stop and sharpen my axe because I'm a doer. And I get so busy. I don't have no time to rest, right? I got to do. You need to sharpen your axe. And that comes by way of silence and solitude, primarily with the Lord. And so we see Jesus needed. Silence and solitude with the Father. So do we. And we see Jesus would even pray with others. So he'd model prayer. He'd go be by himself in prayer. He'd invite others to pray with him. In Luke 9, many of you know the count of the Mount of Transfiguration. And if I asked you what happened there, you would mention things like, Jesus was changed, was shining and sparkling white. You say Moses and Elijah showed up. But in Luke 9, 28, it says this. It says, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to what? Pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure when he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And what we see is Jesus' model prayer. He prayed by himself. He invited others along with him to pray with him. And we see amazing things kept happening as he would pray, as he would spend time with the Father no matter how busy things got. So what we see throughout Jesus' life, throughout Scripture, is as one, God commands prayer, and Jesus prioritized prayer. So we have to ask, if we're honest, why are our lives so prayerless? Is that fair? Okay. In reference to the standard of Scripture, praying constantly, why are our lives so prayerless? Chuck Lawless simply explains prayer like this, in which I, I, I believe is accurate. Prayer is two things in one. Prayer, number one, is God, I love you. Is that fair? Everybody agree with that? Number two, prayer is God, I need you. Everybody, we on the same page there? So if prayer is God, I love you, and God, I need you, what does our prayerlessness say? Just be honest. Don't I tell you, right? We're saying by our actions, God, I love you kind of maybe. I do a little bit of prayer. Don't really need you though. 
Prayer is, God, I love you. God, I need you. So why are we so prayerless? Let me give you five suggestions on why I think you are so prayerless, people. No, we. Why I think we are so prayerless. Let me ask you this. How many of you have been taught how to pray? Anybody ever been, like, taught how to pray? So a couple. That's normal. You know, most Christians have never been taught how to pray. So why don't we pray? I think because we don't know how. And it sounds crazy, but I think people really don't know how to pray. It's a lack of discipleship. Why do we make such a big emphasis on discipleship in the life of this church? One, Jesus commanded it. And two, we need it. We never been taught how to pray. So why don't we pray? Because we never been taught how. So when you don't know how to do something, you don't do it. Number two goes into number one. Many of us don't have any prayer role models. I mean, most of our prayer role models come from the pulpit. It's our pastor. And a lot of pastors, you're lucky you don't have one of these. Prayer, this is amazing prayers, right? With riddled with Bible verses and scriptures. Praise God. But man, that could be like, I don't pray like that. Like, I can never pray like that, so I must not be a good prayer. Is that a word? Thirdly, I think we don't pray because we're prone to be doers and fixers first. I think that drives a prayerlessness in our life. I think if we're honest, if we're prone to be doers and fixers and we don't pray much, I think we think prayer just doesn't seem productive. Yeah? Is that just me? Prayer just doesn't seem productive. Like, I need answers now. I need problems fixed now. I don't have time to stop and pray about everything. I got to do things. And so we're prone to be doers and fixers. And fourthly, we can do a lot under our own strength. Think about the most common times that people pray. It's when we find ourselves outside of something we can actually do ourselves. Right? Especially three and four for me, I can see what drives a prayerlessness. If I'm prone, because I am to be a doer and a fixer, and I can do a lot under my own strength, then it leads to a tendency to not pray a whole lot. Because God, I love you, but I don't need you. Right? So how do we turn our prayerlessness into prayerfulness? That's where we have to get to. I think we all agree we live somewhat of prayerless lives. So how do we change things? And we have to know you don't drift into prayerfulness. You don't drift that way. Prayerfulness will not happen by way of passivity, but intentionality. Praying proactively, not reactively. This is interesting. Praying proactively, not reactively. By reactively praying, what we're doing is effectively letting Satan dictate our prayer lives. Like, think about it. If the only thing we pray for is when something bad happens, we're letting the spiritual warfare side of things dictate how much we pray. Not God our Father. So how do we do this? I'm going to give you six ways to shift from a prayerless life to a prayerful life. Number one, maybe it starts with teaching us how to pray. I use the word ACTS as an acronym to pray. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, 
supplication. So maybe you can take this. It's a great way to just structure prayer. I like structure, so maybe this works for you, maybe not. But how to pray during your prayer life. Maybe you start with adoration, praising God just for who He is. He's faithful. He's holy. He's present. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's righteous. He's sovereign. All these things is praise God for who He is. And then confession. And maybe this is where we are the weakest at sometimes, is this confessing that we've fallen short. And then thanksgiving, thanking God for all that he has done and is doing in your life because there's always something. Even though maybe it seems like nothing, there's always something to be thankful to the Lord for. And then supplication, that's asking. And that's where we spend most of our time for, like asking for things for people or provisions. It's a good thing, but that shouldn't be the majority of what we talk to God about. I think about my own kids are growing, and the only thing, the only time they've ever talked to me is when they needed something, which oftentimes it kind of feels like, I'm just saying, that would not be a great relationship. Dad, can I? Dad, can I? Dad, can I? Dad, can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? That wouldn't be a great relationship, and just to be honest, that wouldn't be very pleasing to me. I want to talk to my kids, but I want to have that relationship, and I want to provide, and so I want them to ask for things, but if that was the only thing that we've ever spent time doing, would that be a great relationship? So point number one, maybe ACTS, structures your prayer, or use that same structure for days of the week in your prayer life. So say Monday, you're just praying adoration all day long, focusing how good God is all day long Monday. And then what's crazy about that, by the time Tuesday come around, you'll be ready for confession because you spent all day seeing how amazing God is. And then compared to Him, not so much. So Tuesday, maybe it's just confession, which is healthy because you don't have to stay there. God's showing you things that he's working on. So Tuesday is confession, and then by Wednesday he comes, guess what you're ready for? Thanksgiving, right? Thank you, Lord, because I saw who you are, who I am. I have so much to be thankful for. So praising God, thanking him all day Wednesday. And then maybe Thursday, supplication, just praying for those people that you know that are hurting or needy or your provisions that you need. So that's number one. That's a long number one, but it's number one. Number two, turning from prayerlessness to prayerfulness is make a prayer point for each day of the week. Like these are strategies to help. You know, at some point I turned into old man sayings stuff. And so I tell our kids jokingly, but it's true. If you don't, if you fail to plan, it's a plan to fail, right? We know that. Everybody's dad has said it at some point, I realize. But it's true. That's what we're doing, making a plan for our prayer life. Maybe, secondly, you structure your, your prayer life for each day of the week. So maybe Monday, you pray for your family. Tuesday, you pray for the government. Wednesday, you pray for your church family. Thursday, those who are far from God in your spheres of influence, or who's your one? Who's the one person you're praying for to come to the Lord? Maybe Friday, it's your neighbors. Saturday, it's the nations. Maybe Sunday, it's the hurting and the helpless, the orphans and the widows. I don't know, but there's plenty to pray for. So what if you structured your prayer life? I think we're so Holy Spirit-led sometimes, we think that everything has to be so organic that you don't plan. This is not true. God is a God of order. Thirdly, anyone busy? Anyone have busy lives? This is the only church that we have no busy people. Praise God. What do you guys do all week? We're busy. I know you don't want to raise your hands in church. I got you. You're busy. I know you are. But the busyness can bog down the prayer life, right? So what if we all get breaks, the guy sharpened his axe 10 minutes out of the hour? 
What if you used your 10-minute breaks well? What if you used your 10-minute breaks to spend time just silence and solitude at some level with the Father? Praying instead of Pinterest? Seeking God's face instead of scrolling Facebook? Yahweh instead of YouTube? I don't know. Leaning on the rock instead of watching TikTok? You guys know what we're going here. Use the 10-minute breaks well. We're not that busy. Sharpen your axe. Maybe number four, we send out the way update email every week. Every Monday, you get the way update email. What if you use that as a prayer tool? You see the events coming up. What if you're praying for those events? I mean, what if you use those things that we have going on in life for our church as a way of praying for God to provide because he's the one that's building this church, not us? Fifthly, as you read the word, pray in the word. Conversational prayer as you read God's word. And so as I'm reading the word and I see something that God's just punching me in the face with, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever had those moments like, oh, didn't see that in my own life? What if you use the opportunity to pray at that point, right? We've seen Philippians 4, 6. Don't be worried or anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer, supplication, and petition, well, right there I see that there's times that I'm anxious about stuff, that I'm fearful about stuff. So if I stop right then and start praying, God, forgive me for those moments and give me strength to rely on you and less on myself. Using your Bible reading is a prayer prompting. And finally, six, could be a good starting point, but disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then guess what he did. This is crazy. This is the crazy part. Ready for this? Grab your seats. Lord, teach us how to pray. And guess what he did? He taught him. So you don't know how to pray. Let's see the model that Jesus gave to pray. It's actually a pretty step-by-step process. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says this. He says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. So maybe you start there, just praising God again for who he is. And he says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this will revolutionize your prayer life. What if you start each day saying, God, your will be done and not mine? Lay and surrender your plans to the Lord for the day and trust him with it. He says, give us this day our daily bread. So we pray for our provisions. God's a good father. He knows what we need, so we ask him to provide for our needs. That's what I love about George Mueller. Every need that came up, he asked the Lord to provide. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Spend some time in confession, knowing that God is a forgiver because of who Christ Jesus is and your relationship. And then, for many of us, Maybe we're asking God to heal our own hearts so that we can forgive others. Because there's not anyone in here that has not been sinned against. Then he says this, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Anyone tempted throughout the day? Yeah. I mean, in various ways at different levels, but we're all struggling and battling temptation all day long. So what do you do? Do you rely on your own strength, or are you seeking the Lord for His? Because you're going to get your teeth kicked in under your own strength. 
Some of you in that mess right now, just getting whipped because you're trying to do it yourself. You need the Lord. I need the Lord. So this is a reminder. Let the Lord lead us. Lead us and give us strength to endure and resist temptation and deliver us from the evil one. So those are the six ways, structures, plans to turn our prayerless lives into prayerful lives. So what do we do with it? It goes back to who Jesus is. And we need to start there. What he did and what he's done. And so we can cry out to God the Father because Jesus paid his life so that we can have a powerful, persistent, and personal prayer-filled life. And it's only through Jesus that we can cry out, Daddy, to a good Father who loves us more than you can ever imagine. Jesus, on the night he would be betrayed, went to the garden to pray. And during this prayer, moments before he'd be handed over, he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That means if there's any other way for forgiveness to be given, let that happen. Because if there is, it seems like an awful waste of my blood. But he says, yet, not as I will, but you will, but as your will. So he was praying, if there's any other way, Lord, let this cup, this wrath of God that's going to be poured out on sin, let it pass from me. But you know what? There was no other way. So Jesus went to the cross. And even on his cross, he was praying. As they were actively killing him, he says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. A life marked with prayer for himself and for others. And so to his dying breath, he was praying for those who were rebelling against him. Today, that prayer still stands for those who are rebelling against him, who have chosen their ways over his, who have no relationship with him because we're living for ourselves, made our own gods of ourselves, our own lives, because we don't need a God. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they not know what they're doing. Romans 5, 8 tells us about God proves his own love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So God proved his love for you that he took your sin when you didn't want it, deserve it, and took it anyway so that if you believe, if you receive it, you will be forgiven and have everlasting life with God the Father that you were created to have in the first place. But without him, you don't. So man, when you look at the beauty of the gospel, how could I not drive a personal prayer-filled life with God the Father who did everything possible to draw you to himself, adopted as sons and daughters of Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, right now, no matter what you've done, where you've been, God will forgive if you will confess. He does it, no matter what it looks like. There is no unforgivable sin besides rejecting him himself. So what do you do with that? We pray. We've all sinned and fallen short. So we pray to God for forgiveness. But those who have no relationship with the Lord, he does not hear you because his, your sins have hidden his face from you until you surrender by faith alone, 
Christ alone, by God's grace alone, because he's a loving father who's wooing and drawing you to himself like we talked about last week. So we respond. So we're going to respond here in just a moment. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And we're going to respond to what God's word's doing, what God's spirit is doing, what God's doing in this place. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing another worship song. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your life. And for some, that could be standing and praying. could be standing and singing. It could be gathering with those around you just to pray what God's revealing or asking for prayer. we got a prayer team over there to the side. And that's to pray with you, to pray for you, to walk alongside you. There's power in prayer. There's power in praying with one another. So we're going to respond in prayer. That's what we're going to do. And that could be, again, you singing praises as forms of prayer requests. Or maybe you respond through praying and dealing with what God's doing in your life. And I'm going to encourage you, because this is uncomfortable. Especially, we, we got the prayer team on the side, and who wants to be, go over there and, oh, you know, Joe has something going on, so... Everybody look and see I'm praying. That's what we do. It's not what really happens, though. See, the temptation that we have that, that, that Satan gives us is that we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to pray. We don't want people to know that we're not perfect and we have struggles and we need prayer requests and we need people. But this is what God's Word says. James 5.16 It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So what if the church actually did what the church does and prays with each other and for one another? So I'm going to encourage you to respond to what God's doing in your life. If you need, desire, prayer. Let's pray for one another right around you, our prayer team to the side. Let's pray for and with one another. Can we be a church that actually does that? Actually, are doers and not hearers only of God's word. You respond to what God's doing in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the reminder and the privilege it is to know you and to be known by you and to be able to approach you as daddy. Because you are a good father, a loving father, perfect in all that you do and all who you are. Lord, create a passion in us to pursue you. Live a life of prayer, Father. Just a, a life of walking and talking with you as we go. Just to enjoy the relationship that we have. Knowing that nothing that we can do can ever drive us from you to where we cannot be forgiven, received back. And Lord, right now I pray that if there's any temptation to think that things that we have done that are unforgivable, no matter how bad, I pray that you just capture that thought and remind us of the truth of your word that if we confess any sin, you are faithful and you're righteous to forgive and to cleanse. Any sin from anybody, no matter what we've done, been through, you are faithful and righteous to cleanse us and forgive us. Calling us sons and daughters of yours are relationship with you is not based on performance. It's based on who we are in Christ Jesus, adopted, chosen. 
Father, encourage us with your word, encourage us with your presence, and lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond to what you're doing in a way that's pleasing to you in this lifestyle of worship. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for who you are. And we pray all this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.